Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I stated at the beginning of the service, we're starting a new sermon series called Our Greatest Needs. And I think we've, we know the answer to this question, but we confuse sometimes, right, what our greatest needs are. We confuse the idea of what we need with what we want. Maybe the easiest way to differentiate between the two is simply by this. If it's something that we need, then it's going to have an impact on our life if we don't have it. But if it's something that we want, probably life doesn't change very much whether we have it or not. Today, the Bible helps us identify some of our greatest needs from a spiritual standpoint and then provides the solution for those needs in Jesus. So I, I have a, a, an exercise for you this morning. won't take more than probably 20 to 30 seconds, but I'd like for you to speak to someone close to you and tell them what your favorite Bible story is. If you had to pick a favorite Bible story, share that with someone who's sitting close to you. I'll give you about 25 seconds to do that. Go ahead. Okay, we started a little slow. I wasn't sure people were actually going to talk to each other, and then we picked up some steam. That's good. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I, I could ask for all kinds of suggestions. You know the Bible is full of great stories that, that we would get a lot of different answers, but I'm going to guess, unless you were really like, oh, I bet your pastor wants me to answer this today, none of you said the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. It's okay, but I'm going to guess that maybe... Maybe a handful, maybe even a dozen or more of you said that this is your favorite Bible story. David and Goliath. Did anybody say David and Goliath? What? I failed. Okay, we have one. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for saving me. Yes. I think there's, there's great appeal to the story of David and Goliath. You've even heard people who might not even know it's from the Bible talk about a sports game as if it's a David versus Goliath matchup, right? Someone is really strong and good versus someone who doesn't seem to be able to be quite as competitive. And that's the appeal in the Bible too, isn't it? There the Israelites are looking at Goliath. Do you remember how the Bible describes him? A giant, a champion, a warrior who's nine feet, over nine feet tall. I don't know about you, but I've been in the presence of people who are taller than I am. Maybe some of our students go to class with volleyball players or basketball players, and you can notice pretty easily when someone is 6'10 or 7 feet tall, it's pretty easy to, to see how much taller they are, but nine feet, he's over nine feet tall. He wore armor that weighed 125 pounds. The tip of his javelin was like a bowling ball, 15 pounds. And he taunted the people of Israel every single day as they were going against the Philistines in battle. And, and that was the idea of a champion. One person would walk out and say, I challenge your best person to fight me, winner take all. And there's Goliath, the nine-foot giant. And nobody in Israel wanted to take him on. Nobody thought they could beat him. I think there's a picture for us in that, in the temptation of Jesus too. Because isn't that us? 
Aren't we the people of Israel? Aren't we the people who are looking at someone even greater and something even greater than Goliath as our enemy? Satan and sin and death? There's no way we can defeat those things on our own. We need a champion, and that's exactly who God sent. That's what Matthew 4 is all about today. And as we take a look at this text, we'll see our champion for the defeated. That's our greatest need. Someone who takes our place. And we'll see first that we cannot fight the battle on our own. And then we'll see that Jesus won the victory for us. Will you listen with me again to how Matthew sets up this temptation of Jesus in the first few verses? Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you were to flip back to Matthew chapter 3 in the Bible, you would notice that in the previous chapter, Jesus had just gone to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. And as that baptism happened, a voice boomed from heaven, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. It's on the heels of that that Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, as it says he's led, I don't want us to have the wrong impression that somehow Jesus went reluctantly or the Spirit was pushing him to go somewhere he didn't want to go. No, Jesus willingly went to take on Satan for you and for me. But did you hear what Matthew said? An astonishing fact that Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. I think we can put that in perspective. I won't speak for you, but I can tell you that I cannot remember a time in my life where I had to go more than 40 hours without eating. Can I just put in perspective what 40 days looks like? If you would start today, your 40th day would be Good Friday, March 29th. Imagine not eating anything for 40 days and 40 nights. We understand Jesus' hunger, don't we? And that makes Satan's temptation all the more difficult. Tell these stones to become bread. Do you see what Satan is really telling Jesus? If you are God's son, he says. And sometimes I wonder if he, we shouldn't translate that a little bit differently. Since, since you are God's son. Since you are God's son, tell these stones to become bread. In other words, Jesus, if God really loves you, if God is really good, then none of these bad things should be happening to you. There are three names for the devil in this text. The first is the devil, the second, the tempter, and then later Jesus is going to call him Satan. And they're all very fitting names for the enemy that we call the devil. The first one, devil, comes from the Greek word diabolos, and it simply means liar or slanderer, and that's exactly what Satan does. He creates doubt. He tries to make us see things in a way that is not factual. And so we have to remind ourselves who our enemy is. I think one of Satan's greatest lies in our world today is that he simply doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. People don't talk about him. We maybe have the picture of him being this guy in a red suit with a pitchfork and a forked tail, right? No big deal. He trick-or-treats after all. Have you ever seen that? Someone trick-or-treating as the devil? He's winning when we don't think he's a big deal. Listen to how the Bible describes him. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
Again, I think I speak for all of us when I say none of us in our right mind would jump into the lion enclosure at the zoo thinking that somehow that was a good idea. And so we want to be wary of Satan. We want to know and recognize the power that he has. But interestingly enough, though he roars, his roar is often quiet, isn't it? He comes to us with that same temptation that he came to Jesus with. If God was good, if God really loved you, then that class wouldn't be so hard. If God really loved you, then you wouldn't be struggling at work. If God really loved you, then your health would be much better or your loved one would still be with you. Isn't that his message? And how can we stand against that on our own? We can't. And that's why we need the champion that God gave us in Jesus. Listen to verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So interesting how Jesus uses the word. His response is to point Satan to the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. He, he recognizes the lie of Satan, that Satan is saying that very thing, that God somehow is not good. He's offering Jesus an easier path. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to go all the way to the cross. You can just live for yourself. And, and if God really loved you, then he would let you do that. But Jesus demonstrates his trust in the heavenly Father, demonstrates his trust that it's God who's going to provide. And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, words that Moses spoke to the Israelites when they were wondering about their hunger. And he tells them that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God in response to the manna that God had sent to feed them. You see, what Moses is saying and what Jesus is saying is, yes, physical blessings are wonderful, but more necessary and far more our greatest need are the spiritual blessings that God alone can bring. That word, the word of God, something that Jesus points Satan to again and again. It becomes the pattern for each of the temptations that we read about in Matthew chapter 4. But I want to pause just for a second because as I was growing up, I remember hearing about this story in Sunday school and in my Christian day school. And I remember being taught this. And it's a good lesson, but I think it misses the point. I was taught that's how you fight against Satan. You use God's word. It's God's word that is the one little word that can fell him that Luther sang about in a mighty fortress is our God. And again, that's not incorrect. But there's so much more happening in Matthew chapter 4 than just Jesus being an example for us. This is Jesus taking our place. This is Jesus' active obedience so that we don't have to defeat Satan. You see, Jesus went to war. He went to battle with Satan so you and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that enemy is already defeated. Jesus took our place in this fight. Can I take you back to David versus Goliath? It's similar, isn't it? There the people of Israel were staring across the valley every day at the nine-foot giant, shaking their heads. No way. He's too big. He's too strong. None of us can take him on. None of us will ever beat him. And then God brings David to the camp. And David says, sure, I can do it. Not because I have the strength to do it, but because God will give me the strength to take down the giant. It's God to whom the battle belongs. That's true for us too. 
When Satan comes to us and whispers in our ear that, that God isn't good, that, that he doesn't have your best interest in mind, it's the victory of Jesus that matters. It's the one who stood in our place, the champion for the defeated that we have in Jesus that assures us that Satan is defeated. I want to look at the other two temptations briefly uh, and Jesus' response to get a general sense of how Satan operates. We heard it in Genesis chapter 3 as well. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. As you take a look at those temptations, you get some insight into how Satan operates. We saw it in Genesis 3 too. Did, did God really say Satan loves to create doubt in our minds, to make us wonder if God really cares about us or not. And he did it to Jesus. Even going so far, did you catch it? He employed scripture to ask Jesus to do something. Oh, doesn't the Bible say if the angels will watch over you, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways? That's the subtlety of Satan. He tries to make something sound so good and then takes it away from us later. That's why I love how Jesus answered him again and again, each of those temptations back to the word of God. When he says, don't put the Lord to your test, worship to the test, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Through the years, I've had people say to me, well, of course, Jesus was able to defeat Satan. He's the son of God. And that's exactly right. But it doesn't make the temptations any less real. Jesus was hungry. Jesus slept. He was true God and true man and the same person. And when those temptations came to him, it was a real, real temptation. Something hard for Jesus to resist. It would have been so much easier for Jesus to say, yeah, I'm kind of entitled to better than this. Why did the Father send me down here to suffer and die for sins that I didn't commit? But Jesus refused. Instead, he answered with just a few words, Away from me, Satan. There's that third word, from devil, the liar, to the tempter, and now to Satan. That word means accuser. And that's what Satan does too, doesn't he? After he convinces us that, that we're missing out on something, after he brings his doubts and, and his lies to us, and then we fall into sin, then he comes back with the accusations. Uh, you're terrible. Can't believe you did that. There's no way God could ever love you when you do that. And that's why Jesus' words are so comforting. Get away from me, Satan. You cannot win. I came to defeat you. This is not the last temptation that Satan is going to bring to Jesus. His temptations are not done. But Jesus won the ultimate battle, didn't he? And you know exactly where. On the cross. When Jesus went to that cross, when Jesus said, it is finished, he guaranteed you and me that the victory against Satan is complete, that there's nothing left that Satan can do, that he cannot defeat us any longer because Jesus has already won. See, that idea of using the word of God to fight against Satan, that's great. It's God in us. It's Christ in us. But even more, as you read this story, 
As you hear the story about the temptation of Jesus, remember it's Jesus for you. I don't know if it should become your favorite story in the Bible, but it certainly should bring you comfort. The comfort of knowing that Jesus stood in your place and won the victory on your behalf. And again, one last time, back to David and Goliath. That's exactly what happened, isn't it? David went out to the battle. He didn't look like the warrior that would be able to take down Goliath. He brought with him a weapon that shouldn't have done the trick. And yet, there the giant was, lying on the ground, dead. Jesus came to this earth and didn't always look like the king that people were expecting. He didn't always do and say the things that people thought a, a Messiah should do and say. But he's exactly what we need. The champion that took our place. The champion that took down our Goliath, our giant, Satan, and sin, and death. And through him, you and I stand victorious. A couple of takeaways from the sermon today. Number one, the struggle against the devil is not a fight we can win on our own. We should know our enemy. That's why the Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And while we can have a healthy respect for what Satan does, look at number two. We have a champion in Jesus who resisted Satan's temptations. John wrote it this way in his first, first epistle. The Son of God, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. And then finally, number three, our ultimate victory is found at the cross where sin and Satan were defeated. Death has been swallowed up in victory, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you can remember. Some of you have an easier time than I do probably. Remember back to your high school days? Do you remember maybe the basketball game against your arch rival. And there's a lot of back and forth between the fan bases. And as the game was coming closer to the end, your team was comfortably ahead. And the other team maybe said something or chanted something. And you could simply all together in unison say, scoreboard, scoreboard. Do you remember that? Anybody do that? Maybe not the kindest cheer ever, but it was true, right? You could simply point and say, yeah, you're not going to win. We're going to win the game and nothing else matters. Just take a look at the scoreboard. Isn't that exactly what Matthew chapter 4 is telling us? That we can say to Satan, away from me, just as Jesus did, or if you want, scoreboard. Look, Satan, you're defeated. You're already beaten by Jesus. The victory is already ours. We have life instead of death. We have a champion instead of defeat. And that means an eternity with him forever in heaven. Yes, our greatest need, someone to overcome sin, death, and Satan. That's exactly what we have in Jesus. Through him, we win. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, amen.